Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. It's great to see all of y'all this morning. I honestly feel a little overwhelmed just by uh, just how great y'all all look and by how great y'all sound and, and how uh, wonderful this morning's been. It's been a gift to me already, so we can just go ahead and leave now. And uh, no, but. Um, We've been going through a series on the book of Romans, and uh, I have a few announcements I'm going to do after my sermon, but uh, the first thing I want to do before we get into Romans, I have a story that, for me, it's, I can laugh about it, Catherine and I can laugh about it now, but in the moment it wasn't all that funny. Um, but here's a picture of, uh, yeah, here's a picture of a crater lake in Nicaragua, and uh, Whenever Catherine and I were, when I was a youth minister at my last church, the place where I mentioned last week we would always go is we'd go to Nicaragua. And on the last day of the trip, the big highlight after working, we, we would build houses in a community. Uh, some teams would be uh, on the roofing team. Some teams would be on the concrete pouring team. And, but then we also had you know, VBSs that were going to different children's homes and nurse... Uh, Anyway, um, and at the end of the busy week, we would come to this place. It's the largest natural crater in Nicaragua. So it's like fresh water. And uh, you see that dock there that's got the chairs, and then there's also the floating dock out on the water. So the way that what people would do is you'd eat this delicious food, and then we would swim, and we'd jump off that dock into the water. Now, it was, it was a pretty high jump, you know, a little, some kids didn't really feel comfortable doing it. But I remember vividly, um, you know, we would run and jump, run and jump, and Catherine didn't love, didn't want to do it. And what would happen usually is you'd have like kids that would do it together. You know, it'd be maybe, uh, you know, maybe Zach and Deacon would like say, all right, we're going to go at the same time, run and jump, or you'd have a row of people. So anyway, at one point in this, there was probably about five of us that were all holding hands. I remember we all, you know, you, all, you always do the thing where you're like, hey, nobody's down there, right? You know, and you look over, and then what we do is like, one, two, three, and we all run and jump off the cliff holding hands together and jump in. Well, one time uh, we ran, and I, you know, I see Abby and Morgan and Emma and Catherine and me, and we're all like, all right, you ready to go? And we run, and we jump in the water. Okay, one, two, three, run and jump. And I remember we land, everyone gets up, and we're all kind of smiling and laughing, and I don't see Catherine's head pop up. And I'm, you know, like, all right, it's time to come up out of the water. You know, and I'm, I'm looking around, and I, I start to genuinely, you know, panic. Like, honestly, I start to just, and I, I start asking everyone, like, hey, have y'all, wait, don't jump, you know. And, and, and we're, you know, I'm about to start a process of, like, searching underwater for Catherine. Thankfully, there was uh, some moms that were up by where the food was being served, the, the bottom right corner of this picture, uh, who saw me and saw that I was panicking and they didn't realize, or they realized that Catherine had run and gotten to the edge and then gotten scared and didn't jump. <laughs> and so this whole time I'm thinking Catherine's in the water and she's just up there going like, oh, I don't know if I can do it, you know? And, and I remember the moms start kind of waving down, like trying to get my attention that she's up there, that Catherine's up there. And I remember Catherine finally realizes what happened. She comes around and she's like, Drew, I'm here. And I remember I like had to go off to the side because it was just me. No one else was realizing this was going on. You know what I mean? This is like me going through a crisis and everyone else is having a blast. And I had to go off to the side and I just, I remember just breaking down because like for a good 
20 seconds, I thought Catherine had hit her head on a rock or Catherine, you know, something had happened underwater. And I, I tell this story to say that all of us at some level, level or another, we feel, d depending on your personality, you feel some level of stress or panic whenever you are surprisingly separated from someone that you care about, that you think you're supposed to be with. Whether it's when you're a kid and you're taught at a young age, when we cross the road, you hold my hand whenever we're about to cross the road because you don't want any reason for you to get separated while y'all are crossing the road. Whenever you're leaving the store, you know, I vividly remember my mom being like, okay, hold my hand, hold my hand. We're gonna walk with the, sh the groceries across, you know, because it might be busy as you're crossing out into the parking lot. You know, we, we have loved ones where we, whenever the it's time for them to have their surgery, it could be a simple, basic surgery. And yet you still feel a little bit of a twinge of fear whenever it's their time to go back and you have to sit out in the waiting room. Nod your head if you've experienced that before, right? You've experienced it. Um, there are even very scary stories throughout history of, of things like the Berlin Wall, whenever people had no idea that the Berlin Wall was going to be built. Loved ones were on different sides of the wall. And then overnight, the Berlin Wall was built, and those loved ones didn't see each other for years because they could not get across. You have horror stories of, of other things like that. But the bottom line is, is, is that in, in all of this, whether your image is simple, whether it's intense, we don't like to be away from the people that we care about. We don't like to experience, you know, people say distance makes the heart grow fonder. You know, the, the being apart. And sometimes it's not our own choosing that makes us feel a distance from someone. And as Steve said, and as he's mentioned already, uh, Christians all over the world are celebrating today uh, Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Christ. And one of the things that I hadn't thought about until this preparation for this sermon in regards to Easter, and in regards to Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection, was, and I want you to think about it, there were, we know that there were disciples and people that watched Jesus get taken away. We know that there were people who watched Jesus as he carried the cross. We know that there were people there at the cross watching him die. And I wonder, what was going through those people's heads when they went home that night and they tried to sleep? Because someone that they really, really cared about, someone that had literally changed their life, you know, we throw that phrase around a lot, oh man, they changed my life. He literally changed their life for many of them, was now gone and they were separated from them. And I want you to picture what that felt like, that immense amount of, man, he was here one minute and now he's just gone. The troops just showed up last night. I didn't have time to say goodbye. I didn't have time to tell him how much he meant to me and now all of a sudden he's out of my life and that that feeling of separation I can't imagine what they were going through feeling of of fear of confusion of emptiness of hopelessness this this person that I had a lot of expectations for I mean did you see the way he healed people did you see the way he like made food out of nothing we were joking earlier Catherine and I were joking she was like I hope I made enough communion bread and I said well you know God has a track record of making more <laughs> if we run out so we're in good shape you know but but like they've seen this guy do these things and so they've all got all these hopes and now it's gone this separation so in Romans we've been going through a series on the book of Romans I believe this is our 16th sermon and we're just to Romans 8 so good job to you uh, plugging along um, but if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 8 or follow along on the screen the passage we're going to read today is the culmination of Romans 8 and Romans 8 is a culmination in many ways of the entire, what he's said so far. Many people consider this 
Romans has 16 chapters. We know that when Paul wrote the letter, he obviously didn't put chapters and verses in there. But this is the center of the letter. It is the apex. It is the place where Paul is going to try and bring the symphony to its loudest point. And what he's been doing is he's been trying to summarize and make this proclamation from Romans 5 to Romans 8. Because if you remember, which you, it's okay if you don't, but if you remember, Romans 5 is where Paul comes and firmly says, this is how we know that you are made right with God. You are justified. It is not because of how great you've done everything. It's not because of how well you kept the law. It's not because you're a perfect person. It's because of Christ and his faithfulness that you are able to be made right with God. And he's been building all of this up to Romans 8 of look what God has done. Look what the Messiah has done and is still doing. And the word that I want you to know above all else that I think he's trying to, to, for you to have is a confident assurance in the fact that what he has done, he will see through and it is done. You are made right with God and nothing can separate us from that. So let's read Romans 8, 30 through 35 and then, uh, then I want to pause for a second. Uh, or 8, 31 through 35. What then shall we say in response to these things? Is he talking about the whole letter? He's probably just talking about just the, the last three chapters, what he's been saying. What then shall we say in response to these things? And what he's about to do is he's about to ask five rhetorical questions that are this really creative way of saying, I've talked about all these things and now I'm just going to ask you point blank. And as I ask you these questions, you're going to realize how ridiculous it is that you worry about whether or not you're taken care of. So here comes the questions and then his responses. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? If God is so for you that he sent his son to die for you, what could be against you? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Is anybody going to show up and say, well, listen, God, mm, I've got something against this person, so uh, they're not righteous anymore. It's like the story where Jesus is with the woman who's been caught in the act of adultery, even though it's probably that it was staged. And he kneels down and he says to the men standing around, he says, whoever doesn't have any sin, you can cast the first stone. And then he leans down next to her and he says, who has brought a charge against you? No one. Neither do I. And he's saying, like, I'm, I'm the one that, if anybody could bring a charge, it's me. And yet I'm the one that says there is no charge against you. There is no condemnation. It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us, just like that woman. He's the one that's standing in the place saying, listen, this one's mine. You know, you can't condemn this one. You can't have this one. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So I wanted to pause here before I keep reading, and I wanted to talk about this is this last question, the fifth of the five rhetorical questions is, in my opinion, is the one that summarizes all the rest. All the other questions were really just different versions of this same question. The only thing that we have to fear is whether or not we will be separated from Christ. The central question of a Christian life, the one that prompts all of our doubts, all of our worries, and all of our tensions, if you could boil it down, is Paul saying it right here. Is there anyone, or is that there anything that I can do or can, cannot do that can separate me from Christ's love? This is the question. As people back then and as we did today, 
and as we're going to read and see, that there were many things that would make us wonder, wait, is this separating me from Christ's love? Whenever, if we are raised as people that think that when good things happen to us, it's because we've done good things, then when bad things happen to you, what are you going to start to think? It's because you've done bad things. And if you've done bad things, have you done something so bad that it might mean that you've done something that could separate you from Christ's love? That's the question that Paul imagines people asking themselves. It's the question that you ask yourself. You may not have done this before, but I can't tell you the number of times that me, and, and some of you maybe have experienced this, where you've gone to visit someone who is on their last breath, and you've gone to take care of them and to say hi to them, and they look at you and they say, I'm nervous. And you say, why? Because I'm not sure if I've done enough. I'm not sure if I've lived good enough. I think all of you have had someone in your life or your family who at some point or another has wondered about that because we've set up a system where we're constantly saying, well, you know, the way that you get saved, yeah, it's Jesus, but also, you know, you got to do this, 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 and this. And this is what Paul is trying to combat here. He's trying to say, I know you Jewish Christians and you Gentile Christians, y'all are asking the same questions. Is there something that's maybe going to separate me from this love? Have I messed up enough? Has something done something that will keep me from this? And what we're going to read is, is that Paul has an emphatic answer to that, starting at the second half of verse 35. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul is quoting this Psalm 44. And I see him saying, all these things are you constantly facing small deaths in your day and in your life. When you face hardship, it's a small death. When you face persecution, it's a shadow of the final death. It's a small version of what we're all afraid of. Will we be separated by death? And this is what he says. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither the spiritual realm, angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look around and see the many things that threaten to separate you from the powerful love of Jesus and say to yourself, can this separate me? Can this separate me? Can this separate me? And learn that in everything that we list, all these things that he lists out, all of these things are defeated foes that have no victory over you. And this all started, this victory took place about 2,000 years ago when the followers of Jesus came to the tomb on Easter morning and they were expecting to be reminded of what they were crying about on Friday night. On Friday night they were crying about how this person that changed their life is gone and they're never going to get to see them again. This person that they loved who changed their life, they're no longer able to give them a hug, have a conversation with them, ask them about their day, and they're coming to the tomb mourning the fact that they'll never get to be with him again. And yet, they're greeted and they're told, why do you seek the living among the dead? They're expecting to be reminded of the separation from Christ, and yet they find out the truth, that there is nothing, not even death, that can separate us from the love of Christ. And I want to take this a step further. One thing we can say is, yeah, death, it did not have the claim on Jesus. It could not separate us from him. But in fact, it does even more than that. The Christian tradition that we have that's so incredible and something we don't appreciate enough is that the instrument of the devil 
that was meant to try to keep us ultimately separated from God became the instrument by which God unites us to him. I want you to think about how cool that is. The thing that the enemy said, I'm going to win this one. And you will constantly be in fear. You will constantly be worried about whether you will die or hardship or persecution because all of them are reminders that in the end, I win. And yet Jesus took that very thing and said, actually, this is going to be the thing by which God wins and by which we will never be separated ever again. So whenever you face your struggles in life, when you face your daily reminders of the fact that you feel a separation from, from God, the hope that I have, I hope you have after reading this Romans passage and the hope that I think Paul had for his readers then and has in store for us today is that there is an immense amount of freedom which we get to experience when we finally get to the point where we can say, I have utter confidence in the fact that there is nothing I can do, there is nothing no one else can do that is e ever able to separate me from the love of Christ which was initiated at the cross and came to its fulfillment in the resurrection. So what I want to hear, I want you to hear me say, and something that's very important to me before I close, is the fact that I, I you've, you've heard me talk about this before, but for some reason when I was in college, I took this class on ministry in times of crisis. And for some reason, God spoke to me in a way in which I just love the act of a funeral. I know that may sound so weird, and you've heard me say it before, but if, if I could have one thing from being a minister, it would be presiding over funerals. And I genuinely mean that. God, you can have all the rest. I do like speaking here, too. Um, but I really, really like funerals. And I remember in my research for a research paper on funerals, asking one of my professors and saying something like just a simple question of, of if you could make sure one thing happens in a funeral, What's that one thing that you got to make sure happens? And he didn't give me a long answer. All he said was hope. He said, there is no such thing as a Christian funeral if there is not hope at the end of it. And the, the assurance, every time I've been honored to get to do a funeral, the thing that I come up here above all else trying to get across, yes, I want to show the life of Christ in the life of his servant. But the thing I want everyone to hear when they leave this room is that they don't have to have any fear that this is the end of the story for this individual. That there is nothing that they have to worry about as they walk out there, those doors and they're every day reminded of the separation that they feel. The fear of, am I ever going to see them again? Is this the end of the story? Are they just going to be remembered as just another person who lived and died? That this is the place where we get to proclaim over and over. And we proclaim it every Sunday. And we proclaim it every time we take the bread. We proclaim it every time we pray. We proclaim it every time we choose to do something in the name of Jesus Christ that we believe that the resurrection has the final answer and that whenever we have faith in Christ, we get to have assurance and total hope and confidence that that is the end of our story. And it's an invitation to us every day that even though that's the end of our story, you get to be a part of it right now. And if any of you have any prayer requests that you need prayers about, elders are going to be standing at the doors as we're about to sing this song. And if, if you want to talk and learn more about this relationship with Jesus where nothing can separate you, I'd love to talk with you, and so many people here would love to talk to you as we stand and we sing this song.